Hi, this is Sean Benson from Harvest Church in Warrensburg, Missouri. I want to thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. For more resources, log on to harvestwarrensburg.com. How many of you know that the month of June is a season where we, as Americans, where Americans celebrate the LGBTQIA families? We aware of that? <laughs> Probably abundantly aware <laughs> these days. So we wanted to pause our kind of regular series of the core values, and although I've got much to say about that particular subject, just to bring you a kind of a few weeks of clarity on this particular topic of the LGBTQIA, because we feel like it's imperative. One, I look out and I see a lot of faces that I don't know. And so what I, you know, I, I tend to get into a rut and I'm like, I just, I just preached that message and then I look back in my notes and it was eight years ago. You know, and I realize as I look out, there's a lot of new people here who maybe don't know where we stand, and you know, you, and maybe you don't even know biblically where you stand. And so I just, I kind of wanted to just dive into the water, if that's okay. You know, I, and I thought we might just start with an explanation of what those terms even mean, because to be honest, I didn't know what a few of them meant. Now, some of the basics you probably know, right? I think we've got a little pictorial diagram you can put up there. You know, L, lesbian, gay, bisexual transsexual, queer or questioning, intersex, or asexual. Now, I still wouldn't have known what those terms mean, even when you describe them by their name. And so I'm sure you know the easy stuff, lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, those are easy. But, you know, queer, intersex, and asexual, you're probably less familiar with. So let me just take a quick moment and bring you some definitions from people who know more than I know. Are we doing all right? Queer is non, a non-exclusive term for sexual orientation and gender. Cleo Anderson, an employee of the LGBT rights group GLAAD, G-L-A-A-D, told USA Today that queer is anything that exists outside of the dominant narrative. Queer means that you are one of the letters LGBT, but that you could be all of them, and not knowing is essentially okay. So that's queer intersex. Intersex, per glad, intersex is an umbrella term describing people who were born with reproductive or sexual anatomy and or a chromosomal pattern that can't be classified as typically woman or man. And then asexual, uh, definitely a new one for me, describes those who don't feel a sexual or romantic attraction towards others whatsoever. And so, in a sense, what we're talking about when we're talking about the LGBT community, we're talking about those who don't ascribe to the traditional cultural standards for sexuality or sexual identity or gender identity, and otherwise a group that has historically been marginalized by American culture, at least up to the last five years or so. So gender identity issues and sexual Identity issues. That's predominantly what we're talking about when we refer to that list. Hi, Peggy. Welcome back. Peggy forsook us for the Lutheran church. But no, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. We blessed her and sent her. We love her. I'll catch up with you afterwards. Here's the thing about this, guys. God help me. I'm actually, for whatever reason, a little nervous about the topic. I think it's just because of all the crazy you know, publicly and just whatever, but how many of you know you've got to be ready to preach the word in season and out, no matter what? You know, I, I feel like sometimes a lot of us in good old conservative rural Missouri, 
we just want to put our heads in the sand and just hope it all goes away. Does that describe some of you? Just like, you know what, man, if I just wait this thing out, it's going to go away. Can I just, can I just bring some news to you <laughs> that it's not going anywhere? You know, like this isn't something that's just happening all the way out there in California, you know what I mean? And it's of no consequence to you. This is something that's happening right here in our own community in rural conservative Missouri. It's on your doorstep. It's not going anywhere. Listen, these previously marginalized folks have transformed, literally, tra- it's, a, it's amazing. In fact, we could take some notes, have literally transformed the American culture. It will never be the same again. It'll never be the same again. We're not going back. So you, church, you need to know what you believe. And you need to know why you believe it. Right? And here's what you can't do. You can't just fall back onto tradition. You can't just fall back into this place where we go, well, that's what the church has always believed. Well, what do you believe and why do you believe what you believe? Where does it come from? See, because if you don't know the answer to that, you're probably going to be in error when you're having any kind of conversation. You're probably going to be in the wrong spirit. What do you believe? Why do you believe it? Where does it come from? You need to know that, and you need to be in season and out. Not just me, but you. You need to be ready, and you need to understand what the Spirit of the Lord is saying over this topic. You, for your own lives and your own interactions, because it's here to stay. You can't just lean on the tradition of the church. In fact, Scripture admonishes us exactly according to that. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 14, and we'll circle back to this here at the very end, but it says this, it says, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And not to fear their intimidation and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks of you to give an account for the hope that is within you, yet with gentleness and reverence. You know, the word that is translated there, make a defense, is actually the word for apologetics. That's where we get our American word apologetics from. In a sense, what it means is to uh, have a knowledgeable and reasoned defense for why you believe what you believe, right? So we're admonished here in Scripture to actually know what we believe and to know why we believe what we believe, but it gives us a preface. And here's the preface that I fear far too many of us, that is, that esca- I fear that escapes far too many of us. The preface is this, sanctify the Lord Jesus Christ in your hearts. Sanctify him as Lord in your hearts. What does that mean? It means I'm not the boss. It means my opinion doesn't matter. My my opinion on this subject is utterly worthless. He is Lord. Whatever I, like whatever thoughts that I have on the subject, bow to the Lordship of Christ, right? Now, my interactions, now listen to this, my interactions with other human beings bow to the Lordship of Jesus Christ as well. See, here's the problem, and I don't feel like the church has done a very good job addressing this issue over the last 50 years. In fact, I would give us a hard D, maybe a D minus. Like, we have to sanctify our own hearts, our own minds, our own opinions, like, under the lordship of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter why you think it. It submits to the lordship of Christ, to the love of Christ, and everything that we do, it sums it up, says it ought to be done in reverence and gentleness. You mean I'm supposed to revere people? I'm supposed to hold people in honor and reverence people that I don't agree with? People that I think are maybe doing some things that I don't think they ought to be doing, I'm supposed to revere them? Welcome to the scripture. All right? Like, we've not been doing a very good job at this. I'm not going to major on that, but I am going to close with a few thoughts. 
I do want to address it in this series, make no mistake about it, because I want us to do a better job, because I want to reach people, because I want to be, I want to look like love to people, you know, because I come to this platform without perfection. I come to this platform in a hardcore journey with Jesus, being abundantly aware of that, I ought to walk in grace towards other people who are in a journey with Jesus too. Come on. We all right? <laughs> Sanctify Christ as Lord. We obey him no matter what the cost. What the cost. How many of you know that the Bible is an unchanging work? How many of you know we actually need a plumb line? Right? You know what a plumb line is? In construction, you drop the line. It gives you the perfect level from heaven's perspective. Right? I, I need a plumb line to, uh, through which I can measure my life. I can measure my actions. I can measure my thoughts. I can measure my beliefs. Right? I can, I can temper my, my own opinions out. I, I have to have a plumb line. There has to be something that I come back to center with that drives and guides my life. How many of you know there's a whole lot of that in this little book that we called the Bible? Right? This Bible, which is an unchanging work, not something to be relegated as this like relic of the past that has no relevance for today, but rather quite the opposite, the very thing that I actually set my life to. Why? Because Jesus Christ said that he died to release life in abundance, and the life in abundance is described to me in the very word that he calls me to study out and get into my heart. He's not trying to keep me from fun and joy and, and all the great stuff that the world has to offer. He's actually putting parameters in my life so that I can step into true abundance, so that I can step into true joy and true happiness. But how many of you know, I actually have to know what the Word of God says. I've got to know it. I have to chew on it. I have to meditate on it. I have to get it on the inside of me such that that's the only thing that comes out of my mouth. When somebody comes and they, 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 they say something that's, that's discouraging, like the stuff that boils on the inside of me and then ultimately comes out of my mouth ought to be consistent with the word that I've been chewing on and meditating on such that the end result is that I actually look like the Jesus who dined with sinners and yet had the oil of gladness above all of his peers. How many of you know, listen, the God that we serve who is repulsed by sin sat in the midst of sinners with a smile on his face. If Jesus did it, then we can do it. I want to be like Jesus. How about you? The pathway to experiencing that reality, listen, this is what we've been talking about in this series, is through the knowledge of Christ. The pathway to being like Jesus is to learn about Jesus and to get it in there. We have to know what the Word of God says. Church, we cannot just fall back on tradition, particularly on this issue you need to know what it says. Does it liberate people? <laughs> does it not? Does it condemn people? Does it, does it condone lifestyles? Does it stand again? Do you know what it says? Because it's not silent on this subject. And as much as I want to err this morning, I'm so tempted just to run with that, just to say, boy, we got to do a better job. Listen up, this is how we're going to do it. I feel like I need to lay some foundation first. Can you hang with me for another 18 hours? Yeah. Do that. That's why we preach series. You know. 
And to lay foundation, we want to go back to the very beginning. Let me just deposit this right quick. First of all, if you haven't downloaded our app yet, you can do so by scanning the code that's on the back of your chair. And in the app, there's a section called Notes. So every Sunday, if it's me preaching, if it's other people preaching, they're grossly negligent in getting me the information that I need. So basically, when I speak, all this... <laughs> be funny if it weren't true. It's <laughs> All the scriptures for this week are found there. Uh, additional other commentaries and notes, you know, you'll find there as well. So I encourage you to utilize that. You should be able to take your own notes, but do save them. I learned from Melissa a few weeks ago, you actually have to save your own notes because eventually I will clean them out and you'll lose them if you haven't saved them. So be sure to save them, email yourself, however you want to do it. And you'll note in those notes that I've listed the title, How to Study My Bible. If you want more understanding on how to study out your Bible, how to really do it, how many of you know we actually, the Bible is studied by tried and true uh, parameters that are set in place to make sure that we all ultimately come to really, really close to conclusions on matters, right? And, and everybody, no matter what your denomination is, we have these parameters set in place, right? So how to employ those, it's all in that series. It's a podcast because I did it in 2015. Apparently, that was before we did YouTube stuff. So I'm sorry, but it's great fodder for your gym experience. Just put it in your ears and go for it. How to study your Bible, if you want more information on how to do that. 2015, excellent podcast. The guy who taught that was just amazing. It's really, it's really incredible. So we're going to lay the foundation. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning, Genesis chapter 1. And in verse 26, it says this, it says, then God said, let us, you see the us there, it's a reference to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How many of you know God's not uh, three random split up people? He's actually one God in three personalities. If you can explain that, I'll give you 50 bucks. Theologians can't explain it. You're not getting my money. (laughs) But the fact is, God is one. You're seeing the reflection of that even in this language here. You know, God's talking about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the singular entity in three different persons at the very beginning of creation. Let us make man, that's actually the Hebrew word for humanity. He's not talking about the masculine uh, male. He's talking about humanity. Let us make humanity in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over, the, and over all of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, God created man, that's humanity, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Him actually doesn't exist. Uh, that was added by the translators just to make it readable. And in a sense, in the original text, it would say something more like, in the image of God, he created male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. How many of you know that in the beginning, God did not create the planet with sin? He did not create us as human beings with sin. He didn't create us with a sin nature. None of that existed. And, and many times over the last years, many years, I, I have, when, I've, when I've been wrestling with, like, what is the, what's the will of God? Like, and, and honestly, part and parcel with the series that we are pausing, 
what did the cross of Christ accomplish? What did the, the second Adam come to do? Did he reverse what the first Adam did? And as I'm contemplating all of this and I'm thinking, what is the will of God in this specific area? You know, I often go back to the book of Genesis because we see the will of God unfold with quite, like, quite clear, uh, how do I want to say, with, with perfection. Like we see the, the pre-sin state of humanity, the pre-sin state of the planet Earth, all right there in the book of Genesis. I would suggest to you many of the answers of what did the cross do, what exactly did Jesus redeem can be found in a good study of this particular book. But over the years, I've, 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 gone, I've gone back just to see what, what is the design of God as represented here in this book. And it's interesting that all the way back in the very beginning, we find out that God created everything. God created humanity, male and female. He created them. Okay, this is a critical point as we're considering the LGBT narrative that's being taught across the planet. At the very beginning of all things, God created what? Male and female, he created them. God created two genders. So anything outside of that narrative would be a distortion of what we find in the, in the biblical text. Okay, God created male and he created female. Two distinct genders who were commissioned by God to operate very different from one another. How many of you know men and women are two different pe things, entities, humans? Whatever they are, women, aliens. And that women are from Mars. Women, men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. Thanks for helping, Ron. Appreciate that. They're aliens, is what they are. Men and women, men, men and sea anemones. Men and women were created by God, male and female. He created them as wholly distinct from one another. Beings whose biology would be very different from one another. Uh, similar, they're humans, but, but biologically very, very different, very distinct. They would have different roles. They would have, have different wiring. Their internal makeup would be different. Their hormonal makeup on the inside would be different. How many of you know men and women are distinct? You know that inherently. The Bible spells it out actually in Genesis God created two genders, male and female. He created them. He created them with very different distinctions. Interestingly, interestingly when you look back at the Hebrew that this is written in, how I many of you know the Old Testament is actually written in Hebrew? When you look back at the language, like even the word female, and, and male similarly, you just have to work a little harder to come to the conclusion. But, but the word for female in the Hebrew is actually a reference, and, and forgive me if this is a little too much, but to the woman, to the female's sexual anatomy. The very word that was chosen to describe the female biblically actually makes a reference to her physical person, to her anatomy, and implied in that is that the woman would be created by God to bear children. 
Similarly, it talks about the man in such a way as the man would be the one who would provide the seed, the female would be the one who would provide the incubation for that seed, ultimately in order to fulfill the command and the original commission of God. We see inherent in the scripture, in the original creation of the man and the woman, the male and the female, that even the language that God chose to use to describe what he was doing makes them physically and completely, even functionally separate, two different individuals. One who would provide the seed, one who would bear the seed and ultimately bring that seed to fruition. It's interesting that we see in the fall that it was that very makeup that actually falls under the curse. That the female, one of the curse you may remember, was that she would now bring forth children in great pain, right? It's interesting that God's original intent was corrupted by sin, but even the curse describes the function of the female as it is holy and perfectly distinct from that of the male who was created. Are we doing all right? Let me say this. It says that it was in the image of God that he created them male and female. The man, the male, only represents part of the equation. Right? So listen, like, <laughs> maybe we need to speak this to the church more than anybody. You know what else came under the curse? You know what else was corrupted in the curse? It says that man would be positioned over the woman to domineer her. She would always vie for his authority and his position. There would always be this attention. Did Jesus redeem it or not? Yes. Yeah, Jesus redeemed it. See, see, the Bible says in the beginning, before sin corrupted everything, that he created them, male and female, he created them, and then he co-commissioned them to run side by side as equal shares of salvation with their own job descriptions before the Lord, side by side, both carrying you know, an, an, an equal weight of this thing. I had something else to say about that. Thank you, Jesus, and notes. (laughs) What I was going to say is, while men think that they've got it all, you know, and over the years we've been so paternalistic in our approach to literally everything, we don't carry the complete image of God. We 100% need women. I only carry and represent a portion of the image of God. I actually need the woman. I need the female to be able to complete the rest of the picture because he and his image created them, male and female. He created them. So anything that would be a distortion then of that picture of the man and the woman coming together in holy matrimony, anything that would be a a, a variation of that would be a distortion of God's original creative intent. So we have the man who represents a portion and the female who represents a portion. When they come together, they represent God's image. This is the very design of God from the very, very beginning. That we would represent him. That we, both male and female, we would come together. We would represent the image of God. We would represent the, the ways of God. The way that God thinks. We would represent some of his attributes. Like how many of you know, whether you like it or not, you look like your daddy. 
Right? All of you, there's like, and, and if you think about it in the natural, like you're forever arguing if you've got a good family, probably, you know, you're forever arguing with your spouse about which of you the kids favor. Like, no, he looks like, and people around you are chiming in. No, he looks like his mama. I'm like, she don't like his mama. I, you know, and thankfully, all of my kids are good looking, so they clearly favor me, and, and they. You know, but, but we, we look like, like we have this, this DNA that comes from our father and from our mother that ultimately determines what we're going to be, right? In the same sense, we see this spiritually that we have a father in heaven. Is that right? We have a father in heaven. We were actually brought forth in his image to look like him. And to the fullest extent, I don't even understand. But we were brought forth to look like him, to, to establish his character, to, you know, like we have his DNA, it's his blood that courses through our veins if we've been redeemed by Jesus. Okay? We look like him. We're in his image. The design of God is that he would create a male, he would create a female, very distinct yet similar genders, that those two would become one flesh. And that those two would represent the full picture and the full image of God in the earth. Again, any distortion of that would not fully represent the full picture that God was trying to intend from the very beginning of creation. Now, some of you, if you're contemplative thinkers, you might be thinking, what about single people? I'm sorry. You're forever doomed. <laughs> no, no it's, like, I get, it's a great question. It's like, so then, well, so single people. But you, you, it, it's not as if you're single. It's like you better get married because you are out of sync with the image of God and like you need a man. And like, you know, I mean, while that might be true, no, I'm just, some security, get her and remove her. No, I'm just <laughs> no, what we have to understand and what it draws attention to is, is the design and what that design was intended to communicate. Okay, so it's like, so you, maybe you're in the journey and you're single. We all were at some point. Maybe you were actually called by God to remain that way. That's okay. But the image and the intention of what God originally communicated is still there clearly outlined in the scripture. And the male and the female coming together in matrimony represent the image of God and it still can't be distorted. There isn't another narrative or another variable that could be introduced because anything that would be introduced would be outside of the biblical narrative. Right? And interestingly, Jesus actually reiterates this in the New Testament. I just, I, I love when, G, when, not just Jesus, I just love when the New Testament goes, oh yeah, let me connect the dots between the old and the new for you. The, the Pharisees, they were coming to Jesus, they were talking about divorce. We've extracted a lot out of this text over the years. I, I don't think we've completely gotten it right, but they were questioning him about divorce. Can a man divorce his wife for any reason at all? I'd love to preach about that, but I'm not going to. And Jesus actually responds to them. This is Matthew chapter 19. He literally quotes from the exact same chapter in Genesis. Now, first of all, that fascinates me because Jesus was reading the same book that I'm reading. Okay, I, that's cool to me. Okay, it's just only cool to Brandy, but that's good. I got one. It's good. Matthew chapter 19, verse 4. He answers the Pharisees. He says this, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning created them male and female? How many of you know Jesus knew what was to come? How many of you know God knows the beginning from the end? Like he knows where this thing's headed. He actually wrote a book called, you know, uh, Revelation. He knows everything in between. 
He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's not lacking any knowledge about everything. And in this grand moment, he had an opportunity to set us straight. And he did. He did set us straight. He says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning, he made them male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. God not only reiterates his original intention and creation, that there would only be two genders, male and female, but he also emphatically declares that he is the inventor of marriage between a biological male and a biological female. See, there's no way to get around it. And listen, there's a whole lot more scriptures, which we may or may not get into. We're just laying the foundation from the beginning of creation and establishing the creative intent of God. And Jesus reiterates that creative intent. And he says to us, no, God, like knowing full well what was to come. No, God only created two genders. He created them male. He created them female. Right? And, and, and then, and, and we skipped past it. Adam actually begins to prophesy, having never seen anything about marriage, having never seen anything about family. Adam, the very first man, he begins to prophesy, oh, as soon as he sees her. It's for this reason that a man will leave his family and cleave to his wife. From the very beginning, and Jesus is now reiterating it, he's establishing that he's the creator of marriage. And that marriage was always designed to be between a biological male and a biological female. There's no room for any alternative. I would go so far as to say this. And I know we're talking about marriage and we're talking about transgenderism in this particular message. I would go so far as to say this. If a male, distinctly male, biological male, and a biological woman, if, if they represent the image of God, if they bear the very image of God, then any narrative that messes with that or any distortion of that biblical reality would be an attack on the image of God. Think about that. It would be an attack. So the, so the creation of any other gender outside of that of a biological male and a biological female would be an attack on the image of God. I think that's a big deal. I think that's a big deal. I think it becomes clear that Confusion regarding this subject is an invention of man perpetuated by the enemy who is looking to steal, kill, and destroy. He's looking to rob us of identity. He's looking to say, you know what? You know, Jesus didn't do anything about these things. Jesus didn't do anything about your confusion. Jesus... Jesus didn't do anything about your sexuality. Jesus didn't do anything about that orphan spirit that you were born with and carry around with you, that victimhood that you carry around with you. Jesus didn't do anything about any of that. That's what the devil wants to tell you because he wants to keep you in that prison. The truth of Scripture is so much more. See, there's hope. 
there's hope in this gospel. If, if you are in here this morning, listen, statistically, I would say you are, and you're struggling with same-sex attraction, you're struggling with gender dysmorphia, listen, there's hope in Jesus Christ. His cross was not so short that it couldn't save you. By the way, the word, we, uh, it was John 3.17, I think Pastor Todd brought up last week. You know the word that says saved in there is actually the word sozo, which means to be saved and delivered, like spirit, soul, and body. Your whole package. Like Jesus actually died for you, every part of you. He didn't relegate anything to some future time so that you would live in like hell on earth. Like, understand, like, oh, I'm, I'm in this body that's not supposed to be, and my identity's broken, and I, my sexual identity's broken. There's nothing I can do about it. No, the Bible says something different. There's hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's hope in seeing your identity restored and those things broken off your life. You can step into the goodness that God has. And listen, the benefits of the cross come by nature of knowledge. Isn't that what we've been learning? So we have to dig into these scriptures. We have to jump in head first. Listen, there's not a person in this room who wasn't born into sin. Every single one of us was born a filthy scumbag. That's the truth. And every single one of us is charged by the scripture to walk out of that identity, to leave that identity literally buried in that baptismal tank. We're called to, to die to the old self and to be raised again to newness of life, to take on his nature, to take on his character, to leave all of our sin behind, to bury it in the baptismal tank. I don't care how you were born. I don't care what your issues are. We all got issues. We were all born that way. We were all screw-ups. None of us got it right. We were all born with the filthy sin of Adam. Every single one of us, and every single one of us had the exact same grace poured out to us to be able to conquer and to overcome those very sin issues. And the root to overcoming is first giving your life to Jesus Christ and ascribing Him, making Him Lord. Isn't that what we read? We make Him Lord first and foremost, and then we dive headfirst into a scripture because by it we actually are renewed and transformed. So what it tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, it says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies. Now listen to this. To present your bodies, a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you will prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now listen, he's talking about putting our whole self, our whole lives on the altar. Okay, I understand that. But you know what's a part of your whole life? Your body. You know, it says, that like, like, I urge you, brother, by the mercy of God, present your body. Present your body on the altar of God. Listen, if you're in here this morning and you're struggling with issues in regard to your body, when you look in the mirror, you think that you're way fatter than you actually really are in, in reality because there's something wrong with the way that you see yourself. If you hate what you see, you're cutting your body. You, 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 like you're, like, oh, you struggle with You're like, I wish God had done something different. If you're in here and you think that you're a different gender than what you see in the, in the mirror, listen, I'm here to tell you that this Bible, that this kingdom, that this God has done something about it. He's addressed these issues. 
He's calling you to lay down your life, to submit your bodies on the altar, and to say, God, I will not despise what you have created. Though that my mind, my soul rebel against me, though I look in the mirror and what I see seems to disagree with me, I will not take it into my own hands. I will not create my own doctrine. I will not create my own set of beliefs that correspond with this fractured reality. I will submit my body as a living sacrifice to you. Take my body. Take it and and receive glory from it. Now listen, there's a part of this I think that has something to do with sin. Because there's a lot of us that are using this body and submitting it under sin rather than his lordship. This is saying, stop. Put your body on the altar of Jesus Christ. Put your whole person on the altar of Jesus Christ and receive the grace. His grace is sufficient for you no matter your issues. He has actually already paid the price. He's already sent the answer. It's time now to submit yourself as a living sacrifice and to bury yourself in the Word until you begin to believe about you the same thing that He believes about you. I got word for you. He's right. You're wrong. He's right. You're wrong. Come on. You know it's good when the water runs out. I don't need another one. That's fine. Yeah, Jesus, submit our bodies. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to put this in as a caveat. And I've touched on it already because I can't keep myself from doing it. The last thing I want to do in this series is to give you ammunition to go hurt people. God help us. That's that's been the church. We've stood so staunchly on our morals that we've done so at at the expense of people that Jesus already spilled his blood for. I'm not here to give you ammunition. I'm just here to give you truth. But I'm admonishing you. Like, I'm begging you for the love of God. Please don't hurt people with your truth. The sword of the Spirit was never meant to cut the arms off of a sinner. It's not what it's to be used for. Listen, we circle back to the scripture. Listen to this. If I can see again. Look back at 1 Peter. 1 Peter 3, listen to this. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation. Listen, church. Do not fear their intimidation. It's okay. You've got a voice. Your voice should be consistent with this. But it should also be consistent with love. But don't keep your mouth shut. Don't fear their intimidation. It's okay if you're persecuted for what you believe. But listen to the rest of it. But sanctify Christ as Lord. We've talked about that. Always being ready to make a defense for what you believe. It says to make a defense for what you believe, to, to, to execute apologetics. It doesn't say to be defensive in what you believe. There's a difference. Being ready to give an account for the hope that is in you. Do you know that you're actually supposed to lead people to hope, not condemnation? Be ready to give an account for the hope, the hope that you're actually dispensing to everybody who is hopeless like you were at one point in time. Be ready to give an account for the hope. Be ready to call people into the hope. There's hope. They're not hopeless. There's, there's a, they have a Savior, somebody who's actually spilled their blood for this very thing that you're talking to them about. Lead them to hope, not hopelessness. 
And then it goes on. Now listen to this. It says, do it all with gentleness and reverence. We miss it in politics. We miss it over, you know, over LGBT stuff. We stand on our truth and we become Pharisees. And Pharisees were the one that Jesus rebuked. It's always, the Bible tells us to bind truth and kindness around our necks. Pastor Missy's done such a great job teaching this. It's both. It's not one or the other. If it's one or the other, you are getting polarized to a place where you were never supposed to be. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging, like, don't be polarized on this subject. Operate out of gentleness. And I love this reverence. I, I, I touched on this a second ago. Like, I'm supposed to revere people who I think are in terrible sin. According to this scripture, you are. Why in the world would I do that? Because Jesus spilled his blood for those people. Because that means those people are priceless. So there's a way to approach this church. Obviously, you can see where we land as a church. We, we, we are not an affirming church in the sense of the lifestyle that is reported or purported by the LGBTQIA. We are not. But we are affirming of people. And I want to create a church where those people can come through my door and they actually meet Jesus rather than the censure of a pharisaical church. And I believe that's what this word of God tells me to do. You know? And I, 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 I don't know if I should or not. I, will, I just won't say it. All right, I'll say it. If every single person walks out of this church because I'm walking like I believe Jesus would call me to walk. I'm not inviting you. I'm just telling you I'm not going to stop you. We've had a heck of a season. And it's over this stuff. It's over people who don't believe in operating the way that I see Jesus operate. God help me. I probably shouldn't say a word. Man, I don't want to be a church that Katie bars that door. I want to be a church that brings people in house. Jesus is standing before a woman who's caught in the very act of adultery. Pastor Todd brought this out. He says, and I'm saying it to you, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Got anybody who's perfect in here? Go ahead and cast a stone. Because I'll be the first one to, to walk away from that sinner knowing full well what I bring to the table. Why do we think it's so different now? It's not. It's not. I'm not a person in here who doesn't need the grace that Jesus provides and the mercy that he pours out on us. The Apostle Paul himself even said, and I foremost more than anybody. Do you know he wrote two-thirds of that book? I foremost, foremost said in the things that I've done, Lord Jesus, he says. There's not a person in here who could cast the first stone, so let's stop throwing stones. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. You know what it says in the book? It says, not counting their sins against them. But if I could paraphrase, but instead introducing the Father to them. 
You know, the Lord's going to work it all out. I don't have to. Okay, I've said too much. It's getting too long. We're going to get into, we're going to get into some stuff. And then you're going to hear from my 98% mercy wife. Did you not know you were speaking? She just found out she's speaking. <laughs> she may not want to. She's like, I am not stepping on that landmine. Jesus, would you help us to reach our community? Would you help us to reach the LGBT community? Would you help us to be a church that truly loves in the way that you love? A church that is both for justice and purity and righteousness. You know, as well as, it's like, and it's not, it's not just, it's just not one or the other. It's just all of it and love. Help us to model it, to walk in it, to understand, give us strategies. Help us to die to self and our own opinions. Help us to submit our tongues to you, Holy Spirit, who are the only one who has the ability to bridle that thing. God, we just admit we are weak. We do not know how to, we do not know how to move forward. We just know you've called us to move forward in love. We know you've called us to preach the gospel to all of creation. And I would submit to you, family, that I believe that it's the LGBT community that will be the next Jesus Revolution movie. I think that's what God wants to do. And if we're upset with, if you will, dirty people with no shoes and long hair who are coming through the door, then we're going to miss out on what God wants to do among the next revival. Jesus, I want to be a part of it. I think these people do too. Would you use us, Jesus? Would you help us? Would you help us to cleanse our own heart? Because I think we're tainted on this issue. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you would like to contact us or would like more information about our church or additional podcasts or resources, please visit us online at harvestwarrensburg.com. We hope to see you soon.